Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, everyone, all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here. Uh, it's a good week, man, and it's great weather. Man, uh, I, love, I love the fall, I love flannel, I love everything about that. Um, and so every chance I get, I'm going to wear it. Um, a couple things today. Operation uh, Christmas Child. There's boxes in every lobby, and in that box are instructions. It's super easy. This has been going on since 1993, and these boxes go to the least of these, the children all around the world, 170 countries. We get to partner with them. So we have some boxes in every, uh, at every campus, so let's, let's fill them up. Let's take them and bring them back in a, in a few weeks and get them filled up. And there's, like I said, instructions. Uh, let me give you a little report about last week, Project Rescue. Rod, my buddy, was here. And uh, so far, we're over $275,000 raised for the children, the ghost children of Malia. Great. So excited. And, and maybe there'll be more coming in. Um, uh, let, me, let me talk to you. Just October's Pastor Appreciation Month. And here at Hope, our tradition is that we bless the staff pastors in our church, not me. It goes to the staff pastor. So on our website, in the giving part, you can, when you go to the online giving, there's general fund, there's project uh, for the Prosper Campus, and then you'll see pastor appreciation. Man, I would love for you to um, give and bless our pastors. It's a big deal to them. They hear from you, not just money, but if you have a note, uh, a little email, a card, whatever. Just, just think about the pastors that have impacted your life around uh, our campuses and bless them. Now, before I get to the message, uh, I want to talk about Israel and what is going on a little bit, just a little bit. Um, as we know, if you're, unless you're, you've been in a, a closet, there's a, a lot of challenge going on in Israel. Hamas, the leaders, the leadership, not the Palestinian people necessarily, but the, the leadership of the Palestinian people, uh, terrorist, terrorist actions, and it's led to a huge crisis and conflict in the Middle East, and, and any time that happens, let me, let me be honest, and I hope that you hear my heart, I'm not trying to be prideful in this, or, uh, you know, sarcastic in any way, I, I just want to make it clear for those of us who are believers, that Anytime something happens in the Middle East, of course we are aware, and of course we, we do a few things. The, the first one is that we, we watch. Uh, we, we look and we learn. We, I encourage you to, it's hard, I know, to go to the news and, and figure out what's more political than just news, but figure out what is actually going on. Who is Hamas? What's the history What's going on? What's happened? What's transpired? What are the outcomes? What are, what, are, what are those countries around Israel, Jordan, and Syria, and Lebanon, and Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, and Iran, and what's going on in there, and, and figure out kind of the, the, the lay of the land, so to speak. We watch, and we wait. Of course, as believers, Israel is a central part of eschatology, in my opinion, in the sense of the second coming of Christ. Israel has a big part in it. It's, it's like the central focus. America is not the central focus. 
um, Russia or China's not central. Israel is the central focus. So, of course, our attention is drawn anytime there's a crisis. But let me remind you of how many crises there have been. And the second thing that we do is we use wisdom. We use wisdom in our living, and we use wisdom in not over-sensationalizing the coming of Christ. Now, what I mean by that, a few weeks ago, not too many weeks ago, there was this, I don't know who started it, I don't even care, but there was a, a report that Jesus was coming back on a Thursday at midnight. Guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm being funny, sort of, but I'm like, guys, those people who do that are false prophets. They are quacks. And I don't know who they are, so I can say that. I think Jesus would say that in the Greek. I think they are quacks. Don't buy in to the over-sensationalist, and especially as it relates to this crisis. Now, is it real? Yes. Do we watch it? Yes. Could it have a, a, an effect of end times? Of course. But there have been many of these conflicts. And so as believers, what we don't want to do to the world and to those unbelieving family members that are around us is be weird. Let me just say that. Some of you have the ministry of being weird. And it, listen, it affects people. People watch you and they go, now I don't want any part of that because you are an idiot or whatever. Now I'm getting ready to, talk, to quote Jesus and says, don't call anybody an idiot, so stay with me. So we use wisdom in our living. The return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any time. We live that way all the time, not just when there's a crisis in Israel. So we use wisdom in our living. And then, of course, number three, we pray. And we pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for the, the, the leaders around that area. We pray for the leaders of the world. This is a great time to pray for our leaders who have a, a, a big role to play in what happens as warships going over. I mean, this is a big deal. So I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, as believers, we watch, we use wisdom, and we pray. And we pray for those leaders around that, that area of Egypt and, and Israel and the Palestinian people and Jordan and Syria and Lebanon and Saudi Arabia and Iran and Turkey and all those areas. It's a big deal to them and, and of course, the people of Israel and the people of uh, Gaza. We, we just pray that God's peace and his comfort would be there. There would be a, a peaceful solution. But uh, overarchingly, we pray God's will, his kingdom come and his will be done. How many with me in that? And I, and I just pray that you, you get the right spirit in that. And uh, here, here's what I, the last thing I'll say is Jesus is coming soon. And I believe that. But we, we, we just watch and learn. We use wisdom and we don't scare people into heaven. I promise you that doesn't work. We love people. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. That's how we do it. So what I'm going to say today in the message is directly related to this thing uh, that I've just talked about in, in Israel in the sense of how we live. We've been in a series called Jesus Centered. Now, one of the illustrations that I could use, if you've ever done pottery, which I have not, but if you studied it, pottery, there's a wheel, right? And you have little controls that, that put the wheel, that can spin it. 
and you have this clay that's in the middle there. And unless that clay is centered on the wheel, whatever it is that you're making will not turn out correct. It will be crooked. It will be lopsided because the clay is not perfectly centered on the wheel. That's what we're talking about in our lives. We want to be centered. We want to be centered on the wheel. So that Jesus, as he forms and makes us, we're in the right position. We're in the right place. And over the last few weeks, uh, actually a couple weeks ago, and then we took a break with Rod, and now today, week two. But let me talk about where we've been. We talked about Jesus-centered belief and, and two important questions. Do you believe in who Jesus is and in his work on the cross and resurrection? In other words, he made the sacrifice. He paid the price that you and I couldn't pay, but he rose again so that we could have eternal life. So we're forgiven, and then we're promised eternal life. Do you believe that? That's an important part of the puzzle. But the second question is, are you a follower of Jesus? And those are two different questions. Not just do you believe. The demons believe, the scripture says. Are you a believer, but are you following Jesus? And that's the big question and it leads us to today, Jesus-centered living. Because I really do believe that what we believe affect, or should affect the way that we live. What we, it doesn't always, but what we believe should affect the way that we live. So what did Jesus say about living for him? Did he have anything to say to his followers about the way that we should live? And the answer is yes. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we will be there today, Jesus gives us an outline, a perfect outline of how it is that you and I should live. And in this sermon, three chapters long, where he goes in a variety of subjects, and what he takes is the law the Old Testament law, and he says, now listen, that law, I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to fulfill the law because you guys can't. I'm going to fulfill the law. But, but I want you to understand that, the, it, it, that, that following me, living Jesus-centered lives, is more than just the outside. And that's what the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, were more worried about. They are more worried about the outside. They were more about looking spiritual, more worried about uh, their appearance and about praying in public and about looking spiritual in public and about giving in public and about having a, an image, so to speak, spiritually speaking, that people would look at them and go, wow, they're really spiritual. And Jesus said it's, it's more than the outside. It's actually inside. So he takes the law and he internalizes it. In other words, he says, hey, it's about the heart not just about the actions. It's more than just checking the box. It's about having the right heart. So, keeping in mind, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, we all know this, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This encapsulates the law. This is what the law is all about. This way and this way. So as it relates to this 
and this. This is how we live. And then he gives us an unbelievable start to his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. So, instead of just reading three chapters, which I would love to do that, because I, I think the, the word is, as you know, I feel it's full, we're full, most messages are filled with scripture. And there's a reason why I believe that it's important that you don't just hear what I have to say, that you hear what the word has to say. Because the word is life, the word is sharp, the word is cutting, the word is anointed, not me. Just makes, I mean, I could be anointed, but, but the word is what really makes the difference. So, instead of just reading though, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to divide the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's many ways that we could do this, okay? I understand that. There, you, could, you could have a better outline than me, and if so, send it. But these are, I'm kidding, don't send it. I'm, but these, I'm going to put these in buckets, categories, of, of, and, and I, I get it, there's more ways to do this than what I'm doing, but these are the buckets that I'm putting the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Here they are. Uh, the spiritual bucket, the missional bucket, the relational sexual bucket, don't worry, it's not crazy, financial bucket, and then, okay, so, so there's four, those are the big four, and, and, and by the way, how many know that these are hugely important in our lives, our purpose, our relationships, our finances, and then our relationship with God. These are like the big four of our lives, and Jesus covers this in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he ends, puts it all together in a big idea bucket, and we'll get to that at the end. I've got a lot, so I'm going to hurry. Last night, I was 10 minutes late. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, we're not going to be 10 minutes late today. Okay, let me, let me just start with the spiritual bucket. And we're going to go to a variety of scriptures because this is where he starts. From the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it starts this way, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Let's go. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Okay, not financially poor those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. When we know that we're spiritually bankrupt, and that's one of the problems that we have in North Dallas, by the way. I believe this with all of my heart. One of the reasons you and I have problems expressing our worship, expressing our, our gratitude for the Lord, is I think, and I know this is like a judgment thing, and, and I'm just being honest in my 24 years here, I think there's a lot of us who really think God's lucky to have us on his team. And guys, God opposes the proud. Your money means nothing to him. Your prestige, your cars, your house means nothing to him. Not that he doesn't care about you, but it means nothing. When we realize, and I'm not going to go deeper in all of this, but when we realize, this is, just, listen, this is where it starts, right here. When you realize, you're, when you're humble enough to understand that without him, you are nothing, without him, in him we live and move and have our being, we don't even breathe without him. God blesses those who understand, they realize that they are poor. They realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted, mourn because of their sin. 
God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the, uh, the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing the right thing, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. See, it all starts right here. And we can, when we can realize our need for him, spiritually speaking, we're, we're going to be right in the center of that wheel. We're going to be right in the center for him to work. When you or I think anything else, we're going to be lopsided. Our lives are going to be heading in the wrong direction because we don't understand, we don't realize how poor we really are. And when Jesus describes, hey, this is how you live, it starts with understanding your, my need for him. Now, as we understand that, then he, then he goes to Matthew 6, and he talks about how that expresses itself. Matthew chapter 6, let's go there. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners. So our relationship with God is not a show. In other words, it's not like, hey, look at me, I'm spiritual, so I'm praying, and I'm centered on the will, I'm in God's will, you're not, I got spirit, yes I do, I got spirit, how about you? No, no, it's, it, no, it, no, this is what it, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them, I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they're ever going to get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. In other words, he's very practical here. And again, he's talking about prayer. I totally get it. But, but it's, it's also a pride thing. Like when you get on the center of the will and you're like humble, but then sometimes we turn self-righteous. Sometimes we, we go to this I am better than everyone else kind of mode. And, and this is what he deals with when he talks about prayer and he talks about, hey, don't make it a show. Go in private. And don't babble on and on and go on and on, repeat your words. God's not interested in that. He wants your heart. They, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need. Even before you ask him, pray like this. And then he goes in to the Lord's Prayer. So the bottom line is, is relationally with God, our spiritual bucket, the, the first thing is that you and I, in our living for him, in our Jesus-centered living, is we realize how in much how much of a needy person we are or needy people we are. And when you can get there and when you realize that and you begin that relationship, you don't get prideful, you don't get judgmental, you don't get self-righteous. You maintain your relationship with God mostly in private. I'm not talking about your influence. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm just talking about you don't make it a show. It's not a check the box, look at me, I'm spiritual. It is, hey, what God is doing on the inside is actually going to overflow. It can't help but overflow on the outside. Does it make sense? Which leads me to the missional bucket. 
The missional bucket is right after the spiritual bucket. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, here's what he says after he gives the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who work for peace. God blesses those who, are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right after that, here's what he says. When you get this right, this is going to overflow. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, I'm going to talk about this next week. It, it, we're going to talk about Jesus-centered mission. So I'm, I'm only going to touch this in just, just for a second. But we are the salt, in other words, flavor. Our, ads, our, our life, because of this, the overflow of this is that we have influence. If we don't have influence... I wonder what's going on. If no one is looking at us saying, why are you so peaceful? Why are you so kind? Why are you so humble? Does that make sense? If people are not influenced by the way that we live as salt and light, something's going on that we need to get back in the center and say, God, what's going on with me? He goes on to say, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, still talking about missional. He says this, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and, I, and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is missional. This is what we do, believe. This is what we as believers do. Verse 46 says it this way. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? So missionally speaking, and this is all I'm going to say, missionally speaking, it's an overflow of what is going on this way. It can't help, we can't help but be salt. We can't help but be light. But when this is out of, off center, we take matters into our own hands. And that's what happens a lot of times. That's why we as believers lose influence. That's why the salt is not salty. Our salt is not salty. That's why our light is hidden under a basket. It's not because the light is bad. It's not because the salt is bad. It's because we are not in the center of the wheel, and we're getting in the way. Somehow, some way, the influence is not there. Either we're off-center, which means we're either weird, kooky, crazy, or we are choosing our own way. Let's get back in the center. And when we do, we'll talk about this next week, it hap we will have, we, it, we can't help but influence the people around us. Now, relational sexual bucket. Okay, so we're going to start with the relationship part. We're going to start with, with how we treat one another, how we respond to one another. Matthew 5, 21, let's start there. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. He goes on to say, if you call somebody a fool or if you call somebody an idiot, 
we're all in trouble, okay? But he, the, the point here is that murder is the action. Anger is the heart. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And Jesus in this whole thing is dealing with the heart. It's not just about what you do. It's about who you are. Verse 23 says it this way. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come offer your sacrifice. So relationally speaking, he's talking about anger. He's talking about, you know, cursing people. He's talking about reconciliation. Verse 25, he says this, when you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. He talks about the court of law. He says, guys, as believers, and even Paul talks about this later, he says, guys, take it easy. Settle your differences. Be, be, be kind to one another. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a mess. Verse 38, chapter 5, says it this way. You have heard that the law says punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, pull out your gun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Offer the other cheek also. And I know this is backwards. And I know many, many of us right now, you're like, you're out on this one. Like, oh, okay, I'll pay for that one when it gets to heaven. I'll be judged for that one because I am not going to turn the other cheek. Okay. You can do it your way or you can do it his way. We can do it his way or we can do it our way. Matthew 7 verses 1 and 2 says, said that, says it this way. Do not judge others or we will be judged for the way that you treat others is the way that you're going to be treated. Verse 12 says it this way. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have the golden rule. So in this first part, relationally speaking, he deals with anger, he deals with reconciliation, he deals with revenge, he deals with judgmentalism, and he deals with the golden rule. The law, the essence of the law is love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Now, let's go to the sexual side of our relationships. And here's what he said, very interesting. And by the way, when we talk about the sexual arena, he is talking to Jewish people who understood the details of the law. He, they understood the details of how we are to conduct ourselves sexually speaking. They, under, they had an understand, a clear, now I know today we don't have a clear understanding. Many of us in this room, many of us online, many, we have all different kinds of ways that they had an understanding, Jesus had an understanding that everybody understood the law and how we were to conduct ourselves sexually speaking. So when he says this, it, it's, it's, it's like saying, hey guys, I know you understand the law, but I'm gonna go a step further. And here's what he says, ready? Matthew five. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. That's the outside, what we do, the, our actions. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, if that was literal, none of us would have eyes, okay? Now, you know it. Now, some of you are looking, oh, that's not me. Okay, well, maybe you're 80, but, <laughs> but 
I can say that. My mom's 81. All right. So if you have lust problems, then, then your eye needs to come out. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What is he saying? He's just saying, hey, if you have lust problems, deal with that. He's not saying gouge your eye out. He's not saying cut off your arm. He's saying if there is a problem, if there is a situation in which you find yourselves, not just the act of adultery, but you are actually looking lustfully, then, hey, you have some issues that you need to deal with. He says don't ignore them, don't follow them, cut it off. In other words, deal with it. That's why we have Regen every Monday night at this campus, Frisco East, 630. Every Monday night. And it's not just for addicts. It's not just if you have an alcohol problem or a uh, pornography problem or a sexual addiction problem or greed problem or whatever. It's for anything. Let me just tell you, and I know I I get in trouble for saying this, Regen is one of the best things we do in this church. It is an, an incredible tool of discipleship, not just for people who like, oh, that's for the people messed up. Okay, that would be all of us, okay? It's for, it's for people who say, you know what? I wanna get on the center of that wheel for my life. So if you have any kind of sin issue, if you have any kind of lust issue, if you have any kind of greed issue, if you have any kind of thing that you're, you're just not right, you know there's something not centered Regen every, every Monday night, 6.30. Further, now I know this one is gonna be tough. I don't talk about it a ton. It's not the unpardonable sin, but Jesus goes on relationally as it deals with the sexual part of our marriages. And here's what he says, you ready? You have heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. So because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses made a concession and said, okay, you can divorce, but just, you know, you got to make a certificate about it. You got to, you know, do it right. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful. So in other words, if you're just going through the, oh, I'm tired. I'm done. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Doesn't work like that. Causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, this is a tough passage the reason is because God hates divorce. He doesn't, hurt, he doesn't hate divorced people. He hate, and it's not the unpardonable sin. Paul gives us some clarity on how we are to operate as it relates to divorce. And it's a painful thing. Those of you who have gone through it, it is a painful thing. And let me just add, sometimes it's a necessary thing. There's no question about it. The Bible is clear about that. So this is not an unpardonable thing. This is not to make everybody in the room who's been divorced feel like, oh, okay, he's talking to me. No, I'm talking to any of us. Because many of us are still married, but we're living separately. Many of us are still married, but we live totally different lives. Many of us are still married and have departed emotionally, sexually, relationally. Does it make sense what I'm saying? So, so this is about the heart. So it, it, it's not the unpardonable sin, but here's why Jesus says it. He says, guys, let me just tell you, the hardness of your hearts, what you're doing relationally is not loving your neighbor as yourself. You can just, you know, no, no, I'm just telling you, you don't just divorce over any little thing. 
There are parameters to this, and it's because I love you. It's not because I'm trying to make you feel guilty or make your life harder. It's because I love you. And divorce is hard. Divorce breaks God's heart. It breaks our hearts. You know this. And it breaks the next generation's heart. And that's not to make us feel guilty. It's just to help us understand that those of you who are not married yet and you're getting married, you're at the age where you think this is an important decision. It's not just like, oh, if it doesn't work out, okay, great. Next, it's not that way. It's, hey, this is serious. There's a reason why. This is Jesus-centered living. That's why we have re-engage every Thursday night, 6.30, right here at this campus. Your marriage is on the rocks. If it's hanging by a thread or if it's 50% healthy, re-engage is to help. Okay, let's get some things back on the center of the table. Let's get our relationship in the right place so that we can last for the long haul so that we can be in the center of God's will for our lives. Okay, so that's the relational sexual bucket. There's so much more I could say. I'll leave it at that. Here's the financial bucket, and I gotta go. Here's the financial bucket, and I know you've been waiting for this one, so I'm glad to help you. Here's what Jesus says about our finances, Matthew chapter six, verse one. He says, now watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly. Again, this is not about the outside. It is not about making us look spiritual or look really good. This is about the inside, about the heart. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, there are three divisions of giving, tithes, alms, and offerings. Okay, this is talking about the alms. Alms is what we give to the poor. And in this realm of giving, the religious leaders of the day were making it a public spectacle, saying, hey, look how spiritual, look how good we are. We're giving to the need. He said, hey, you know what? Don't do that. When you see somebody in need, give to them in need and let that be it. Your Father in heaven who sees that, he will reward you. Chapter six, verse 19, read on. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. When we talk about money, and I know we're in North Dallas and this area, high income, not a ton of wealth, but a lot of high income. And I'm just telling you, Jesus says, hey guys, let me just help you. When you store up your treasures here on earth, and your money means more to you than anything, you are going to lose everything. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And you're never going to be centered on that will when your treasure is in your money. That's why many of us have problems giving because it's our treasure instead of him. See, he's our treasure. And when he's our treasure, 
Money comes and goes, doesn't it? Money is here today. It could be gone tomorrow. He is constant. When he's our treasure, he says, put your, store your treasure in heaven. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and also be enslaved to money. I had one amen out of that, and this is what Jesus said. John didn't say this. Okay, here's the big idea. All those buckets, let me see if I can name them. Spiritual bucket, getting this right first. When we get this right, it will overflow to the missional bucket and we will have influence. When we get this right, it will overflow to our relationships and we will begin to learn to love our neighbor as ourself in every way. Anger, revenge, judgment, treating each other, reconciling. And then when it comes to sexual part of our lives and to marriage. When you get this right, these things have a chance. They have a chance. And then you get to the financial bucket and it just says, hey, you know what? God's gonna be my treasure no matter what. God's gonna be my treasure and I'm gonna store up in heaven. I'm not gonna serve two masters. Doesn't mean money's evil. Money is not evil. How many know that? How many thank God for money? It's not evil. But when you love it, when you love it, when you serve it, it becomes, a, it becomes an enemy. And it robs us of the blessing of being right in the center of God's will for our life. Now, here's the big idea. Here's the big, so all those buckets, spiritual, missional, relational, financial, those are the big areas of our lives. When we can get these right, here's the big idea. Here's the big, Matthew chapter seven, last couple of verses of the whole sermon. Now, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't follow it, so what, what is he saying? So if you hear my teaching about spiritual, you hear, and he doesn't say this actually, but, but in the buckets that I have, spiritually speaking, relationally speaking, missionally speaking, financially speaking, when you listen to my teaching, that means you're building on the rock. And those of us who build in this area, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, know how important the soil is. When you build on soil that is bad, you will have problems. There will be foundation issues that will cost you a lot of treasure. But he says this, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds his house on the sand. And when the challenges come, that house will collapse with a mighty crash. So let me sum it up. Big bucket. If you hear what Jesus says and you don't follow it, your house is on sand. No wonder everything around you crumbles. I'm not, God's not mad at you. He's just saying you built on the wrong foundation. 
But when you build on the rock, when you build on the teaching, if you build on what, how Jesus called us to live, well then, when the challenges come, your house will stand because it's on the rock. You have a sure foundation. So, in light of all that, the buckets, spiritual, missional, relational, sexual, financial, big buckets of our lives, big idea is obey, don't disobey. Build on the rock, not the sand. When that happens, here's what happens. You ready? What we believe should affect the way we live. And the way we live should affect the world around us. Lord, um, many of us convicted. There are many aspects of this message. Convicts my heart, convicts our hearts. And there's a good chance that many of us will walk out of our rooms right now. This room, McKinney, Prosper, West, online, we'll, we'll go to the kitchen and we will turn the channel and watch football or watch baseball tonight and we will totally forget what was said today. I'm asking that, Lord, your words would penetrate my heart and penetrate our hearts so that, so that the reason why we're talking about this, the reason is because we want to be centered. Not just what we believe, but how we live. And, and what we believe affects how we live, and how we live affects those around us. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives, in our hearts, in our church, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.